Today's episode is brought to you by Sarah Brooks of Country Financial, specializing in small business insurance, also offering home, auto, life, and more. Services available in Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Minnesota. They're also currently hiring. Call today for a free quote, and if you mention this episode, you'll receive a free gift. Sarah can be reached at 907-357-7455. That's 907-357-7455 for Sarah Brooks of Country Financial. All right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Chopping It Up with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Whew. Week one, NFL filing the books. We had a wild one. We usually do. Week one, we get some crazy upsets, which we still got. Last night's Monday Night Football game certainly fits that realm. I thought the Broncos were just going to beat the brakes off Seattle. The thing is, it could have gotten that ugly. I've got NFL Network on right now because sometimes what I like to do is I'll put something on in the background just to have, I can have somebody to look at and talk to because running a show by yourself is, in, is incredibly difficult to do. But as I have it on, I see something scroll across the bottom and say that the Denver Broncos were the first team since 1991 to lose two fumbles inside the opponent's one-yard line. Twice at the one. Run it didn't help either. Wink, wink. But it goes to show that this game was pretty much, I don't want to say dominated by Denver, but they left a lot of points on the board. That could that's that's two touchdowns right there. Seattle had a couple of good drives with some big chunk plays, but overall, Denver was the better team, but beat themselves. And it wasn't even just the turnovers and the red zone issues, like the clock management stuff at the very end of the game was wild. Now, I'm not somebody who likes to usually criticize coaches super harshly because in their world, they are damned if you do and they're damned if they don't. If McManus makes that field goal, it looks like he's a genius. You left them with like 20 seconds on the clock. They've used their timeouts. But the outcome wasn't what they needed. The Giants won because they went for two. Dable's like, no, we're going to go win this thing. What if it backfires though? I The thing for me is I just, it's frustrating when I see people play the outcome but not the decision. If you're, sometimes you've got to make a decision. Sometimes it's the wrong one. Sometimes it's the outcome is wrong. There's a lot of times we see the perfect play called, but there's a dude wide open in the end zone and he drops it. Your play was perfect. Your execution was perfect. And just that one player messed up one part. And that's on the coach, right? If everything's designed correctly and everything is executed perfectly, except for the very, very last part was the play a failure. I would say no. Just that one dude is in the doghouse for the entire week. So when I look at that last drive, I didn't necessarily have a problem with them wanting to play for the field goal and not leave Denver so much time. But the the confusing part to me is it's a 64-yard field goal. Like That's not a gimme. Even if they were in Denver and they had the altitude advantage. That's still not a good high percentage kick. You had time to still move it forward. I don't have a problem with you playing for the field goal necessarily because you've had some red zone issues. They clamped you guys and you got close. But 64 is no gimme. You could have easily got another 10, 15, 20 yards. You know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you're really going to put the W on a 64-yard field goal. Like you, that's where your confidence is going to lie and not the dude that you're giving basically a quarter billion dollars to. That was a quote basically from Ryan Clark, and I thought he hit it right on the head. Like, you don't go out and give up the assets that you did and pay him the money that you're going to be paying him for him to just sit on the clock. 
to me, it felt like Denver sold that game. I feel like Denver and Seattle, or not Denver and Seattle, but De- Denver and Russ sold it. They gave up the bag. They're like, yeah, you can have this one. There were too many things that just seemed very uncharacteristic of both Denver. Well, I guess not Denver necessarily because they have not been great over the past few years. But it's definitely, it seemed like he was uncharacteristic of Russ. And I don't know if it's because he wanted to you know, throw throw the 12s a little bit. He's like, yeah, man, I, got, I still got love for you. Maybe that's what he wanted to do. I have no idea. Because the reception for him was about what I expected. There were some cheers and there were some boos, but overwhelming. I, I didn't feel like they weren't disrespectful to him. You know, they did they did what NFL fans do. They boo the opposing quarterback. So I feel like Seattle actually held it, as far as like the fans are concerned, actually handled it about as well as you could, given the circumstance. But I think that Russ had a tear in his eye and he was like, I got to do one for the 12. I got to give them one. If they only win one game this year, let it be this one because Lord knows they need it. Now to switch gears, Peace Guys Picks was last week. We went 500. I figured that we'd probably do that. Week one's always a goofy one, but again, when you're a, when you're a gambler, you're going to bet week one. Now week four through five, like I said last week, I start to get a really good feel about who teams are, what they're, what they're trying to be about, things like that. It's not as much as a guess anymore. But there were a couple games I thought were going to be locks that ended up failing on me. San Francisco, Chicago, that was one. Denver and uh, Seattle, that was one that I thought was like it was a wrap. So I missed on those two. But then there were a couple ones, you know, that where I said it's going to be a lock. Don't worry about it. It was Kansas City against Arizona. They came through with it. Uh, Baltimore against the Jets. That one locked up. There was a couple that I didn't feel super great in, but I, I, man, like. Pittsburgh straight up just beat Cincinnati. That was one where I thought I still think Cincinnati could win, but I would take them to cover. Same thing with Atlanta. So week one's always a doozy. Please don't hold it against me. The further we get into this, the better it will be. I promise. Just stick with your boy and we'll get through this together. But the thing that I was thinking about, there were a couple teams that I was tracking when I saw the games go down and I was checking the sporting, uh, the betting lines today and it's always kind of dangerous doing your bets on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. But I don't want you guys to bet on these games on Tuesday. These lines could switch a lot. Now, the week one lines didn't move a whole lot. Whatever the spreads were, they stayed pretty pat the entire time up until game time. But we get overreaction Monday, overreaction Tuesday. We start seeing people bet way hard on one set as opposed to another. And I think you're going to see these lines kind of mellow out because the teams I was tracking... Apparently, Vegas was doing as well because the Rams came out super flat. And the one thing I'll say is it feels like no matter what you want to do in the world of sports, whatever narrative you want to create is the one that you can believe in, whichever one you think is true. And the very first game of the season was exactly that Buffalo and LA. There are too many people I can see on one side. I was like, oh, well, Buffalo just won them or they were just hungrier. Oh, LA came. They were flat with the Super Bowl hangover. No. Maybe the better team just won. I don't know. I think that both teams are both really good. We've got a lot of football left to be played. But I will tell you this. Now, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I'm going off on a tangent here, and I'm sorry about that. But a few years ago, not a few years ago, it was like a decade ago, the Bills and and, and Denver Broncos, in the, in the same draft, the Broncos were one pick ahead of Buffalo, and they took Von Miller, and that was a dude that I wanted. And Buffalo ended up having to get Marcel Darius instead. Being able to see Von Miller in a Bills uniform makes me so frustrated right now. 
And not because, and to a degree, not because I feel like he'd be the same player. It's really difficult to tell that. But Denver was at least still good. Like They still had reasons for him to want to re-sign early on in his career because they ended up getting Peyton Manning. They were winning a lot of games. That Buffalo team, up until the last like two, two and a half years, has really not been good. There's no guarantee that Von Miller would have stayed and re-signed up and, and had a 10-year-ish career with Buffalo had he had gotten drafted there. But seeing him in those colors and being able to watch him through a different prism because I don't I don't watch every team super intently. But when you get to see a guy that you won on your team for a decade and is still performing at a high level and you finally get to witness it, it's like the second coming of Jesus. It was crazy seeing how different that defense looked with a legitimate pass rush. I told y'all last year, I thought the Bills' number one overall defense was fraudulent. They had a really weak schedule. They played some some teams that are really, really inept offensively. And I feel like it got kind of skewed because when they played good offenses, or especially good rushing offenses like Indianapolis and and Tennessee, they got the break speed off them. They, like they ran for 400 yards combined on both games. It got super ugly real quick. But adding this pass rush and like the other guys – Guys like Basham got involved and guys like Rousseau, these are these are these are second year guys now. They look like they're actually putting the work in on it too. And you've got that plus Von Miller, and they rotate like seven, eight guys. Like they're they're super deep on the defensive line. Not everyone's a stud, but everyone's capable. Jordan Phillips as well. When you start rotating those guys and they're fresh all the time, Von Miller's gonna be able to tee off. And I it's like I said, it's so weird being able to see a legitimate pass rusher. For the Buffalo Bills, and especially the guy that I wanted this entire time. But to get back on the betting portion, when I saw how flat LA came out, I thought, okay, that's the team I want to watch out for week two. Who do they play? Because I am taking the Rams to win. Well, there's this weird thing called Vegas seems to know exactly what I'm thinking too. Because they play the Falcons and the Rams currently, again, this is basically two o'clock on from the East Coast. It's only 1030 in the, in the morning here in Alaska. So... The Rams are already 10.5-point favorites. Now, don't sit on that. Don't make a bet on Tuesday. See if maybe that line moves a little bit. Because 10.5 is a big spread. And I think that what people are betting on is that they're going to come beat the brakes off Atlanta. Nobody thinks that they're really all that good. Because the more money that gets put on LA, it goes from 10.5 to 11 to 12-point favorites. And then that's when you can, you can step in and snag Atlanta. As of right now, if it's going to stay at double digits... I'd probably go Atlanta, but if it dips below, I'd probably go LA. This is going to be a tough one. Watch this line up until game day. This is one of the few ones that, because of the what happened in week one, them San Francisco, again, San Francisco's a 10-plus favorite this week because they play Seattle. Seattle's coming off a big win. San Francisco looked like garbage against Chicago. They're a 10-point favorite. Watch the line on that one. Green Bay is another one. They looked like absolute booty juice against Minnesota. And of course, like I said, the moment that I fell off the Minnesota bandwagon, that would be the time that they would look good. Now, I will say this about Aaron Rodgers. He's still putting the ball on people. Dude's got to make plays, though. Was it Christian Watson? Is that their rookie? He had a a drop. I think this offense is going to get better as the year goes along. But for week two, they're 10-point favorites at home against Chicago. That's a big jump from being like a one and a half point favorite against Minnesota to a 10 point favorite against Chicago. Watch, maybe not take the bait to see where that line. That's another one where an underwhelming team 
like Green Bay is going up against a weaker opponent and that spread is huge. This might be a week for a lot of dogs. Just keep an eye on these lines because there, there's three or four of them that are that are double digit ones. And that can be old it can be scary sometimes. And we won't do the entire basically like the entire schedule like we did last week. You know, I went through some games that I would leave off, some games that I I made my bets on. There were you know, 10, 12 of them, something like that. So I won't do that, but I'll probably give you five, six games that I feel pretty comfortable with. And then we'll do a little bit more as the season goes on. Once I start seeing what the records look like with these teams, you know, we'll, we'll take a second peek at it. But we'll only do about five or six on this one. Then we'll take a break and then come back and tackle some more NFL news. One game that I feel really good about, Chargers at Chiefs. Chiefs are a four and a half point favorite right now. Patrick Mahomes looks really good. I know they played Arizona. Not a great team, but this is what we talk about. Anybody can win on any given Sunday, but that's why there's odds. What's the probability of it? The Chargers are obviously stacked offensively, and they looked really good on defense. But Patrick Mahomes is still proven that he's Patrick Mahomes. Even if they were on the road, because I don't think that the Rams and Chargers have like a really, really great home field advantage. You saw when, when the Bills came in into SoFi and played the Rams. That thing was probably 40% Bills fans. If this was in the, even if this was in LA, I still probably feel good about KC getting a win by more than five. Watch KC minus four and a half. I'm going there along with the Colts and Jaguars. The Colts are in Jacksonville. I'm taking the Colts minus four. Again, these lines can move at any time. I don't feel like this one's going to move a whole lot unless something just like catastrophic happens to Jonathan Taylor, basically. But you're going to get a heavy dose of him. They're probably going to be able to to bite on that, get some play action, get some big chunks to guys like Michael Tom or Michael Pittman, excuse me, somewhere like that. I don't know if Jacksonville has the resources to be able to control Jonathan Taylor for an entire game. So the Colts minus four feel really good about that one too. Buccaneers and Saints. This is another one where I know that Jameis looked not great at the at the in the first half and looked stellar in the second half, but it's still Tom Brady. Bucks are a three-point favorite on the road in New Orleans. I am hammering Tampa Bay minus three. And the one that I don't think that people are really going to be super stoked about, Tennessee is at Buffalo. Remember, the Bills run defense against great running teams and great running backs. They, they give up a lot of yards. Derrick Henry is going to be super pissed. He put up over two bills on these guys last year. I feel like he has the potential to do it again. Now, they've lost A.J. Brown, so the offense to me isn't going to be as... It's not. It's still going to be super predictable, right? Because we know exactly what we're getting out of Tannehill and, and Derrick Henry. But until Buffalo proves to me that they can actually legitimately stop the run against these great running backs, I'm not saying Buffalo's going to lose this game, but they're also minus 10. I would take probably Tennessee plus 10. Not a whole lot of conviction in my voice on that one. But until I see otherwise, I just I just can't. And I'm not even super confident with that one. But I've seen this movie too many times against guys like Derrick Henry. This one might be that trap game. Also, like I say, you know, I think that Derrick Henry's going to be pissed because the Titans came out, looked flat week one. You don't think they're going to want to have some kind of statement game? Buffalo still probably wins this game. But, man, 10 is a lot to swallow when you know that that guy can get 25, 30 carries, chew up a lot of clock, and just be able to keep Buffalo 
off the field about as much as you possibly can. Because that, again, that that offense for Tennessee is very predictable. It's very slow-paced. It's very run-oriented. And that's the kind of matchup that can, in years past at least, has been able to beat Buffalo because they've been pretty weak on the interior. They seem to have stouted up a little bit because Jordan Phillips wasn't there last year. Now he is. I think it's going to be a fun game to watch if you like the slug them out games because Josh Allen's basically just white Derrick Henry who can throw better. Those two teams are going to knock the absolute hell out of each other. Ten's just a lot of points to swallow, though. We'll be right back in just a moment. So if you follow this show for a while, one of the dumbest things I think that we do in sports is our top fives and Mount Rushmore's and things like that. But here we like to ask the difficult questions. I don't care who your top four basketball players are or quarterbacks or anything like that. Drinkable cereal milks. That's what's really important in life. I'm not a big cereal guy. I'm not a big breakfast guy. But I had Cocoa Puffs the other day and I was like, man, I forgot. Like just the satisfaction you got when all the chocolate dissolves in there. And you basically have like your own free chocolate milk after already consuming the nutritional part of it, if it's even nutritional with Cocoa Puffs, but regardless. But it made me start thinking like, what are other people's favorites? So I threw it on the chopping up a Peace Guy page. I shared it with my personal page. That got shared a couple times. So we've got a lot of votes. So there's a couple of these that we got some stragglers, right? We got some very minuscule votes on some of these. Because you know, it's just like with your Mount Rushmore of basketball, you're going to get it with anything in life. Serial included. You always got that one guy in his Mount Rushmore that has Robert Ori because he's that rings culture guy. And then you got some other dude who thinks that rice checks is one of the best drinkable cereal milks. Get out of here with that. Nobody thinks that either one of those two things are factually correct. And I don't appreciate you thinking that you were smarty pants by doing that. But anyway, the people have spoken. We don't even have a clear top four. That's how widespread this thing is. Because here's the deal. Even the four spot. Whichever president you think is the worst one on Mount Rushmore. Even the four spot is a five-way tie. Now, some people were trying to cheat, so I have to do a full disclosure with Captain Crunch. Some people were trying to do, they were trying to lump Captain Crunch and then all of its varieties under the same umbrella. No, you got to pick one cereal and move on. Can't be doing Captain Crunch and all berries and peanut butter. No, no, no. You pick one of them and keep it moving. Stop trying to skew the data. I take this thing seriously. So I made sure that this vote was 100% accurate and I double checked my math four different times. What we'll do is we'll start off with the five-way tie for four. We've got Cocoa Puffs, original Captain Crunch. Like I said, some of those goofballs were trying to throw other like the all crunch berries. Nah, that got to be his own separate thing. If we included all of them, Captain Crunch would have ran away with this. But I don't play that. Cap'n Crunch also at the three spot. Reese's Puffs, Cocoa Pebbles, Frosted Flakes, Apple Jacks, all were tied for the number four spot. Now, the reason why I'm doing it that way is because if I did that, and then I went to who was tied for number four, because we have a tie at the one spot. So I'm giving each one their own individual president. Y'all can tell me which one you'll want for one and two. Number three is going to be number three. And I wanted those all to be linked to number four because if I did a, a tie at the at the one spot and then I show you everybody was tied at number four, we'd be here all day and I don't want to be doing that thing. Your number three most enjoyable drinkable milk cereal is Fruit Loops at the three spot. Again, one and two, I'm giving them their own spot. I don't care how you want to break this tie. And I'll tell you what, I'll let you guys break the tie for me. Next week's episode, we'll do another recount, see who's going to take the one spot. But the leaders, 
and who get to be crowned one and two at the top of the Mount Rushmore of most drinkable milk cereals is Fruity Pebbles and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You guys can all argue with your mama. This was decided by the internet. None of my votes were even taken into consideration because I didn't vote for this thing. It was just a story that was sparked by my Cocoa Puffs and then I went ahead and destroyed the internet. So again, we need a clear number one and clear number two. Fruity Pebble Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I'm going to leave it up to y'all and next week we'll reconvene and we'll see who won after doing battle and battle the cereals. Now moving along, one thing I like to do is if I am incorrect about something, I like to own it. I'm not one of these dudes who tries to backtrack and do all this back and forth and give you a hot take every day because it's just going to get buried under all the times that I'm wrong. I don't get to do this thing enough where I can kind of hide behind the errors of my ways. So there were a couple things I was pretty adamant about that I said, this is definitely happening before the season starts. Really, really, really thought that Mar Jackson was going to get a deal done before week one. This dude is like, he's really just trying to finesse the entire NFL with no, no agent and just letting him, letting this thing ride on bed on himself. Because here's the deal. Lamar Jackson knows that even if you were to get injured again, let's just say, you know that dude's getting another contract. He might lose money on it. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But if he doesn't get injured and puts up another bonkers MVP type season, he is going to smash what Baltimore was reportedly willing to give him, which apparently, and I have no idea who to trust on these things because we hear so many stories, we hear so many angles, and none of them really feel like they're truly believable until the actual pen is put to paper we know exactly what we're looking at but now it's rumored that Lamar Jackson was offered a six-year 133 million dollar extension by Baltimore all of which is guaranteed so kind of trying to go that that realm of what Kirk Cousins did you know a number of years ago when he went from Washington to Minnesota I just feel like he knows that he's better than that and I think that anybody who's not willing to label him as RB1 knows that he's worth more than that too so the guaranteed money, to, yeah, would have been worth more than some of the other big guaranteed deals like the Mahomes and Allen, um, Russell Wilson. But even that contract isn't even worth as much as Deshaun Watson. And Lamar is somebody who hasn't really given you a whole lot of reasons to not think he's not all about football, though, you know? He's not giving you a reason that you've got to be in front of the media and answer questions about his behavior. And I don't think we really have to go back over his bona fides again, so I won't. I just feel like this dude is like really taking the ultimate leap of faith on himself, which I understand and I can completely appreciate. But it does come down to that. How much are you willing to lose over a potential injury, man? Like, I understand you want to lock up as much guaranteed money as possible, but you also want to know that you're actually value valued and not just trying to be a price set commodity. And there's no guarantee the thing like won't get done before you know, the end of the season anyway. They could still absolutely restructure something. You know, it's not like he's at the deadline and he's done. It was just he wanted a deadline and it didn't get done in time. But now we're starting to see these leaks of reports of what was offered and him turning it down. But if he continues to keep playing he did week one and still looks really good and we see, because some of the throws that he made against the Jets, I know it's the Jets, but some of those throws were really super impressive. And if he looks like that, along with the running ability and the running back stay healthy, and he doesn't have to 100% be that offense again, he's going to put up stupid numbers. He's going to be in the MVP conversation again, and he's going to make Baltimore look really stupid if they don't lock him up sooner than later, because you do not want to have to go searching again for another quarterback, because you guys already did it once going from 
Flacco to Lamar and completely changed your offense in the way that you did things. If you have to find another quarterback because you didn't pay this guy and he leaves in free agency, you're going to completely redesign your offense again because everything you have is tailored around him. You don't have the weapons that are good enough for another quarterback to just step in and be that guy. Like The other guys are going to be successful because of the running lanes that he provides, getting the certain matchups that they're getting with one-on-one coverage because you do have to get up in the box. Are you really willing to rebuild it all back up again for you know whatever whatever kind of guaranteed money that he was looking for? He's already shown to you that he just wants to play football and he wants to play football for you guys. The fact that you haven't got anything done that's relatively closely to what the actual starting quarterback market is, especially for a guy with his credentials already. I To me, it just feels like Baltimore doesn't deserve him. And with that being said, we're going to go ahead and hang it up today on Chopping It Up with Pete Scott. Thanks for hanging out with us. You can always reach us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. Sorry for the fairly short show today, but I did a lot of stuff around the house yesterday. This is really the only day I had to do anything. I want to relax a little bit before I got to go pick up my kid up from school. You guys, stay up, stay blessed. You know where to reach us. You can also find us on Facebook, Chopping Up with P. Scott, or just search Prescott Kelly on any of the platforms to find me. Holla at your boys, stay up, stay blessed, and we'll catch you guys in the next one.